0: Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. If you have your Bibles, i ask you to turn real quick to Luke chapter 21. And uh, I'm gonna pray right off the bat, and we're gonna jump in this because we've got a lot of scripture I'm gonna to try to read and get through. Uh, so that we can uh, be at the resurrection for next Sunday. So that's kind of how we're going to go. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you again for the opportunity we have to worship you. Lord, as uh, we saw in the, in the video just a little bit ago, you are a king. You are the only king. You're the king of kings. And we're so thankful that we can have a relationship with you, so thankful that we can talk to you right now. Um, Lord, we know that we are undeserving, that we are sinners And God, it's only by the blood, it's only through what you've done for us that we can call on your name 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every single day of the year. We realize that it's only because of the blood, it's only because of the death and the resurrection that we can have this relationship with you. And so we're so grateful for it, so thankful uh, for you being our God, for you being our King, for you also being our Father. Lord, thank you for being such a loving Father that teaches us and instructs us and corrects us and um, Lord, we, we thank you for all these things and we thank you for this time that we get to spend in your word again. Uh, now that we've, we've worshiped you and, and we've been blessed with the singing and uh, Lord, we, we pray now that your spirit would move in, in, in this message and, and through your word that our hearts would be ready, that our minds would be ready uh, to receive this message and to receive your words and to, to respond to it. God, help us to respond rightly to your word. Um, Lord, if there's someone here this morning that's not saved, they've never given their life to you, They've never trusted Jesus. They've never experienced the power of of salvation, the power of the resurrection. Um, Lord, I ask that you would just move in their life and their heart today uh, so that they would be born again. And we'll praise you for all these things, God. We ask them all in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is just a little extra. The last sermon I didn't get to finish up, but I wanted to to move forward. So I'm going to give it to you. Point number three in your notes that you see there is the careful preparations for the end of the end of time. So I just want to re- re- remember where we're at in our study uh, to, to kind of go where, to get where we're going. Um, and that's this. Jesus is getting close to the end of his life, his earthly ministry. And he's been preparing his followers, those who have left everything to follow him, on what it's going to look like once he leaves for them following him. So this is, this is what you're going to have to go through. If you can ch- continue to follow me, you're going to have to deal with this in the world. Again, we saw the nature of the persecution We saw what persecution looks like today in 2018. Um, And so Jesus giving these preparations for his followers. Now here's the truth. As I said last week, you and I would want the same exact thing, and we have the same exact thing. We have 2,000 years closer to what Jesus was telling his followers. This is what you need to be prepared for. This is how you need to live your life. This is the things that are going to come upon you in your life. And so in chapter 21, verse 29, he says this. As it spake unto them of parable, behold the fig tree. Look at this fig tree over here, Jesus said. And all the trees. So when they now shoot forth, you see and know your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. Again, we're, we're at that time of year right now. Uh, what was once dead in the, in the winter is starting to bud in spring. What's going to happen here pretty soon is it's going to start producing fruit. And we're going to start seeing uh, different fruits show up on trees and stuff like that. Jesus was using the illustration of his own creation to drive home this point. You can look at the trees, you can look at this fig tree, and you can know that it's about to to produce fruit, and it's about to be its time of harvest. He says, so likewise you, when you see these things that he just told his disciples about come to pass, you know that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Just as you know the fruit's coming, you see the, 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 the blossoms happening, you know the fruit's coming, Just as you see that, you know that when you see these things, wars and rumors of war and all this stuff coming about, you know that the kingdom of God is near, just like the fruit is near. He goes on to say this, verily, so truly, listen to me, he says, I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Now, this is something amazing because Jesus, his teaching and his tone to the people here was for a purpose, I believe. Very important purpose. And here it is. They were to live in constant expectation. The word that we use today is hope. But it's translated as constant expectation. When we say I hope in something, it's not some wishful thinking or hoping like like we think. It is a constant or or, or, uh, an absolute expectation for something to come. And so when we say this is, Jesus is giving these words for this reason, for us to live in constant anticipation for his return. I've asked this question many times before, is that how we're living? If we look at our life, do I live every day like Jesus could come back today? Do I live my life like, is this what I want to be doing when my Lord comes back? The one, you know, the one that, that went through all the beating and the death to give me eternal life. Is this what I want to be doing when... He returns. So we're to live in constant expectation. Again, yes, a lot of the state of the heart, but man, what are we going to be doing? How are we going to be living? Where is your life at right now? Where is your heart at right now? In light of the soon coming of our Lord. Paul called the, the blessed hope in Titus chapter 2, verse 13. He would also write to, to Timothy a little later, and he would say this about the return of God, that there's this crown of righteousness that's waiting for him. And it's not just reserved for Paul only, but it's for everyone who lives in co- or loves the appearing of the Lord, lives in this constant expectation, this anticipation of Christ's return. But if you look back in our text, there was this, this indicator, this, this, this thing that is so important for so many people, and people have, have debated over this, and theologians have had there's been controversy after controversy, and, and people try to put this analogy on it and, 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 and describe it and explain it away. And here, here, here's the, 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 the statement where he said, Truly, I say unto you that this generation shall not, be, shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Again, a lot of controversy has swirled around this. But here's what I believe I believe that Jesus was telling them that this generation, that will see these cosmological events, these, these cosmological events, I'm sorry, these things, things that are going on in the, in the, in the heavens and the skies and the wonders, those people will still be alive when the kingdom comes to earth. Jesus reiterates the importance of this, anticip, uh, this anticipatory living, living in constant expectation of God's return in the next verse, in verse 34. So he says, So take heed to yourselves, pay attention to how you live your lives. Lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, so that they come upon you unawares. And he says this For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Again, God had revealed the mystery of the end time to a couple of primary apostles. I mean, Peter had some, but according to the, 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 the word that we have written down for us, to the apostle Paul and to the apostle John. John the revelation uh, in in the revelation of Jesus and of course Paul throughout all of his letters but to the Ephesians Paul wrote this in chapter 5 he says this see then that you walk circumspectly walk carefully not as fools but as wise redeeming the time because the days are evil again he's saying look 2,000 years ago almost 2,000 years ago the apostle Paul is writing to the church uh, 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 in, in Ephesus and saying look You know that the times are evil. You know that things are bad. You know that Jesus is coming back soon. So make sure that you live your life in in, in careful anticipation of the Lord's return. Now, I wonder today what what people have thought throughout the generations. You know, I mean, Paul was saying he's coming back soon. He hasn't come yet to the Thessalonian believers, but he's coming back soon. And generation after generation after generation has come and passed, and Jesus had not come back. You have people today saying, look, people Christians have been saying all the time, Jesus come back tomorrow, Jesus come back tomorrow, Jesus come back today, Jesus come back anytime. But that was the point of Jesus' teaching, and that was the point of his giving his disciples even then this warning and this teaching about how the end is going to come about. It's going to come about in a way that's going to be fast and sudden. It's going to catch the world like a snare, he said. the Thessalonian church I'm going to read some verses here in chapter 5 he says this in in the first book he says but of the times and season, brethren you have no need that I write it you you know how things go just as Jesus said look at the fig tree you know how it all works I don't have to tell you what's going to happen in spring and summer Paul's saying the same thing you don't need me to write that because he says this you know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes at the night just as Jesus taught for when they shall say peace and safety then sudden destruction come upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. You know, I, I've, praise God, never experienced birth pains. That may be a shocker, but I've, I've, never, uh, I've never experienced anything like that before. Uh, but my wife has, Rochelle has, and um, the first child was interesting, Avery, because we were in the hospital for a really long time, and they gave her a couple different drugs. One, one was to make a relaxed and then and, an and, and epidural. And the first drug, I thought, when they were saying it was going to give her, make her relax, I thought, man, she didn't feel no pain. Because, I mean, in the room I'm sitting there, and she's out cold, holding on to the side of the rail, out cold. And every time that she would have a contraction, I would see it coming on the monitor, you know. And then she would, she'd start breathing, but she pretty much stayed asleep the whole time, so I thought. Well, later on, she told me, oh, I felt it. I was, I was feeling the pains and stuff. With Addison, it was a little bit different. She, they didn't get her the medicine in time, and she was feeling full-fledged birth pains before they got any medicine inside of her. And, uh, you know, but I, I don't know what that's like, but I remember walking around the, the maternity unit. They were not going to keep her for sure, for sure uh, but she was in pain, and I kept telling the nurse, we're not going home. She, I mean, look, look. She's she's hurting like really really bad. We'd be walking around and she'd stop and she's like, oh, you know, I mean, cramping over and stuff. And and it was just a man. I've never experienced that other than with her. And you know, of course, family and and, and stuff like that. But um, I just I, you you know that it's coming real soon because you have those what are they Braxton Hicks, you know, and 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 they can seem like they're real, but when the real thing comes, all you women who have had children, you know it's a different deal well that's that's what i believe that that jesus and the apostle paul was even teaching he, w- he was saying look when it gets to the end you will know and that's why i think so many of us as christians there's something different yeah, yes generation after generation have said yes jesus is coming back jesus is coming back but we look at our world today and we look at what's going on and look at what's happening in the skies and looking all over and we say it is like a woman that that is about to give birth that's what it seems like so again he says "Brethren, you're not in darkness that should overtake you as a thief he's talking to the church look the day of the Lord is not going to take you as, as children who are living for the Lord children who have been saved children of God who are in the in, in the in the light children of the day it's not going to come upon you and take you like a a thief it comes into a house at night it's not going to happen to you like that because you'll be ready. You'll be living in anticipation. You'll be praying. You'll be watching. You'll be living. It's not going to happen to you like that. He says, Because you're all the children of the light, children of the day. We're not of the night nor of darkness. Let it, uh, therefore, let us not sleep as, others do, as do others, but let us watch. Let's stay alert and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. They that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober and putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope. There's that word, hope. The hope of salvation, this confident expectation of deliverance. Let's put it on that mind, regardless of what happens, knowing that we're going to be with the Lord when he returns. For God has not appointed us to wrath. We're not destined for wrath, but to obtain salvation, deliverance, by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, whether we live and breathe on this earth, or whether our bodies are put in a coffin, we should live together with him. But look what Paul wrote again. Let us watch and be sober. Let's stay alert and sleepless. Let's stay like a night watchman and let's be self-controlled in our lives because Jesus is coming back soon. That's that's what what the teaching was. Again, Jesus is preparing all of his followers for his soon return 2,000 years ago. Here we are 2,000 years later and his return is that much closer. How much more should we be living in anticipation of God's return? How much more? And again, it, it breaks my heart. I was talking to a pastor this last week that's a pastor out in Rome and, and we were sharing. We had a board meeting. We were sharing, talking about different things and, and I was just kind of sharing some of my heart and he, he about come across the table and said, you, you're sharing my heart. Then I said, you know, what? It just, it just blows my mind that today in 2018, we say the Lord's coming back but it is like we are struggling to get people in the church to be committed to the church. I'm thinking it just blows my mind and he said it is he goes it's the the craziest thing I said we I said we live in a world in a day and time where the world says hey we're going to do this on a day the church has set aside for for centuries and 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 thousands of years to worship their god as a body and the world comes along and says hey we're going to have these events on this day and the church says okay no problem we'll do that too it and 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 we're like, this much closer to the Lord's return, Christians and us, we, we the church, we should be way more committed than before. We're, that's what Jesus is teaching. Look, it's going to get closer. It's the, 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 My return. And so you need to be sleepless and alert and sober and, and, and have a control over yourself and, and be committed to me. Now look at his words in verse 36. Again, this is what Jesus said. Watch you therefore and pray always that you might be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come, up, that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Oh, well, What is he saying here exactly? He's saying this. Stay awake at all times, spiritually awake at all times. Don't, don't spiritually slumber. Don't, don't take your eyes off of me. But pray that you'd have strength to escape all the things that are going to take place. Remember, talking to his disciples then, that eventually would be, be pretty much most of them be martyred. But they would be imprisoned, they would be beaten, they'd be stoned, they they would be persecuted, just as he would say. And again, up to today, still being persecuted all over the world. So pray that you're going to have strength to escape these things. And to stand before the Son of Man... And that he would be pleased with your life. So I think that we kind of ride this, this hope of grace, which grace is real and mercy is real. But this, this, this wave of abusing grace. Well, well, God, God loves me. God's going to understand. And as long as I make it to heaven and stand before him, everything's going to be okay. That's not the mindset that Jesus taught. Jesus taught to live your life in anticipation in a way that whether you live or die, just as the Apostle Paul said, That God would be glorified in your life. And that's how we should be living. Look, if I live or I die, I want him to be glorified in my life. I don't want to just live however I want to live and then stand before him and say, yeah, I believe Jesus died and rose from the dead. I'm going to heaven. I got my ticket. That's not how he said live. He said, follow me. And if it costs you even your life, if you have to go through persecution, if you have to lose everything in this world, I want you to still follow me. Live a life like that. And that type of life of complete surrender is a life that's worthy of your Lord. That's what Jesus said, that you may be counted worthy to stand before him, unashamed. This this persecution, this chaos at the end of this world that we're starting to see and that we have been seeing in our life. He says, keep praying. Don't just keep praying, but keep enduring the path of obedience. Keep, Keep pressing down the path of obedience. So that when you do stand before your king, you stand before him unashamed. Now we move on to verse 37. It says in the day and uh, and in the daytime he was teaching the temple. Night he went out and bowed the, the Mount of Olives, and it says that all the people came and, and, and wanted to hear him teach in the temple the next day. In chapter twenty-two it goes on to say, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called Passover, the Passover. And chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. They they, they didn't want to just go up and say look this guy's causing a problem. Let's just get rid of him They didn't want to do that because they feared the people the people were giving them their power The people were giving them their esteem that they were feeling We can't just go in here and take this guy We'll we'll, we'll be in trouble So they had to conspire against jesus Look what happens in verse three Then entered satan into judas surnamed iscariot being of the number of the twelve Which has always been such an interesting thing, right? This is just this is a side note. This is not even, always an interesting thing. Jesus, knowing from beginning of before there was ever time that all of these events would take place, knowing that Judas would betray him, knowing all these things, Jesus still chose Judas to be a part of his 12. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. And, and, and some people say, well, why did he do that? I, mean, I think there's several different, according to Scripture, uh, 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 principles that we could grab and we could say, this is maybe why Jesus still chose Judas even though he knew he would betray him. Maybe as an example of the kind of grace that God offers to everybody. Maybe of the, the, the sacrifice that's avail- available for all. There's se- several different ways. Maybe as a lesson to followers of Jesus Christ for, for even us 2,000 years later that, would, that we would realize that sometimes everybody that's showing up to gather isn't necessarily there for the right reason. Or he isn't even, isn't a part of his family. Several different things that we can learn from this, but this verse tells us along with John chapter 13 and verse 27, along with other verses, that it is possible for people to know who Jesus is. To gather with other people who actually walk with Jesus and believe in Jesus. And yet still not possess or be possessed with Jesus. Scripture tells us that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. That, he cannot have any, that the light has no fellowship with darkness at all. Period. That's why his abode cannot be shared with Satan's abode. In other words, we are vessels, we are, we are souls, and our souls cannot be possessed by God and be possessed by Satan, be possessed by Satan and be possessed by God. It's one or the other, period. So why are you saying this? Because one of the things is, is assurance. If you're God's, if you're 100%, one, no doubt in your mind, you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, You you have placed all of your faith. What what does that look, look like? That looks like at one point in time, you were controlling your life. Your decisions were driving everything you did. And at some point, you let go because you trusted Jesus. And you said, the control of my life is now in your hands, not in my hands anymore. And the reason I trust you is because I know that you're a son of God. I know that you came to this earth. You died on the cross for my sins. I know that they put you in a grave, but you rose again the third day. And there's no other way to heaven except for through you. And so you have my life. You, you tell me what to do and I'll follow. That's what, that's what faith, salvation looks like. It's not a prayer. It's not a head knowledge. It's not knowing all the events that took place in Jesus' life and thinking that that's what gets you to heaven. It's not. It's an absolute surrender. That's what Jesus taught. That's what, that's what Scripture tells us. So again, I don't think anybody had to convince that Jesus was who he was to Judas. Judas knew, Judas saw all the miracles, Judas heard all the words, he saw the power and the presence there. Judas had all of that, those knowledge, just exactly what the Bible tells us in James where it says this, that the demons believe and they tremble. They know all of the things about Jesus. They, they, the, the demons have heard this for thousands of years and it could probably quote scripture than, better than anybody else in this room. The, the demons probably have way more theology than we do. They've seen it. They've known it. They, they, they've been around it. But the demons aren't saved and going to heaven one day. It's just Judas wasn't. He, he knew, he saw, he was around, he was hanging out with the other 11, he was gathered at church services. But his heart wasn't surrendered, his life wasn't surrendered. I mean, it, maybe on the outside it kind of looked like every now and then it was. Well, Judas is always with them. He was hand-selected by Jesus. If you are truly God's, no doubt you've surrendered. John chapter 10, verse 27 through 29 tells us that there's no man that can pluck you out of the Father's hand. There's nothing or no one that can take you out of God's hand. There's nothing you can do. No one can pull you away. If you are surrendered, you are a child of God, you cannot be taken away from God. So Judas, at one point in time, was not Jesus's, and then Satan came in and stole him away from that. That's not how it was. I share this because I, as i was sharing with that pastor this past week, I'm so concerned that many churchgoers today, many professing, please listen to these words, professing Christ-followers but not possessors are the same exact way. I believe that many people are professing that they're following Jesus Christ, but it's clearly that they only follow Jesus Christ in their convenience. How it works into their life, and I shared this last week as well. It only works for me if it fits into this day of the week or this time. It only works for me if it's like that. No, there's many people that are professing to follow Christ, but they're not. And I believe these same people would sell Jesus Christ out for money, and they do. I think they would sell Jesus Christ out for other earthly idols, sports, hobbies, possessions. Happens on a weekly basis, Jesus getting sold out. Yet those same people still profess that they are His, and He is theirs. And I'm not trying to say this from a place of perfection, I'm not at all, but if, if, you, if, if there's competition in our life for the Lord of our life, the King of our life, if there's, if our life, I mean, we can have it in our head, but if we can look in our life and be real and honest, is the course of my life truly following Jesus are there things that come across my life sometimes and that, that are a real competition for my allegiance? He's to be the undisputed king of our life, the very clear Lord over our life. Not just some mythical person that we read about in Scripture but the God who loves us and we walk with, just as Jesus was walking with his followers there. Judas, hearing, walking, experiencing, a part of, and we're about to see, a part of the Last Supper, the Passover. I mean, all these things. But he was possessed of the demon, of the devil. That's why I'm so concerned about the lack of commitment I mean, here, here's the truth. It, it, it's one day of, of, of seven that we gather here. Well, we, we have a midweek service too, in the middle of the week. But, but when it's hard for us to, to arrange our schedule, to be here, and so, well, I worship God in my own way, then, then you created something for yourself. Jesus set up his church. It, we, just, we, just said, we just saw that even before he left, he was going in, in in the mornings and teaching in the temple. And then he was going out and they were fellowshipping at the Mount of Olives. They were together. The early church was together. They were teaching. They were exhorting with all long-suffering doctrine, just, just as Paul told Timothy to do. And so for us to have some idea of what God is okay with in our life, but no scriptural basis is just Errant. verse 4 says that he went his way and he communed with the chief priests and captains of how he might betray him unto them and they were glad and they covenanted to give him money look we'll give you this money you you you're gonna you're gonna turn him over you're one of his own you're gonna you're gonna betray your leader to us yeah we'll give you money and he promised. And he sought opportunity. He he looked at how he could betray him. To them, in the absence of the multitude, he conspired. It wasn't just something that he he he, he just thought off. The, he he put a lot of thought into this. How can I how can I get this money? How can I turn Jesus over? I mean, I just wonder at any point in time, did, Jesus, did Judas? Obviously not, because the devil had possessed him. But before the devil possessed him, I, I, I wonder at some point in time, did Jesus ever really touch his life? I would say, yeah. I mean, the, the, the people that he rose from the dead, the people that he healed, all the sick people. At some point, Judas had to been like, wow, this is amazing. He's changing people's lives all over the place. I feel like my life has been a- 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 affected. I feel so emotional. I feel like I've had these experiences with Jesus. But he hadn't experienced Jesus. And it says this in verse 7, Then there came the day of unleavened bread when Passover must be killed. It's so interesting, and I've shared this point before. This is a point that we've written down before. But I wanted to do it again. In your notes, number one is this. Christ is our Passover. The, the, the whole culmination of, uh, of, of the, the experience in the Word of God you have to know this points to jesus christ a relationship with god that's what god wanted from the very beginning take it back to the garden of eden god walked with them in the cool of the day he, he fellowship with them in the cool of the day and when they weren't where they were supposed to be because sin had entered in he asked them, adam hey where are you at he knew where adam was but sin had entered had severed, severed that fellowship that relationship with god that's what god still wants today that's what he's wanted the whole time and he used the nation of israel he used the word he used the law he used all of these things to point to Jesus, God, in the flesh, to point this out to us. That he so loved us. He so wanted to have a relationship with us that he would sacrifice his own life to have it. The only way that for us to have that relationship with God again. That's what the whole word of God is. So when the Passover was observed there in Egypt... And they had to put the blood on the doorposts, And they had to uh, have have bread that was unleavened. They they couldn't give time for it to rise because they had to get out speedily. God was going to deliver them instantly. When he said, this is what is going to happen, you're going to go. And this is how I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to deliver you from the hand of the, uh, from Pharaoh. And so that's what it was. This is the way that you are going to be delivered. You have to be behind the blood. You have, to, you have to trust me. You have to believe me that you have to be behind the blood. Because if you don't trust me and you don't surrender your all to me and you don't do it as I said, you don't get behind the blood, then you will die. The death angel will not pass over you. It will come upon you. Jesus, thousands of years later, is the culmination of everything that God illustrated through israel again and in the law that's why jesus said don't think that i've come to get rid of the law but i've come to fulfill it i am the point of it all he's our passover verse eighty sent peter and john saying go and prepare us passover that we may eat and he said unto them uh, and they said unto him where wilt thou prepare we don't have we don't have a hotel we we don't have a a a ministry house (laughs) Where are we going to have this, this, this meal? And so, okay, look, go to this, uh, when you enter the city, there's going to be a man meet you, and he's going to be having a, a pitcher of water. You're going know, to follow him to where he goes. Isn't kind of weird? I mean, in our day and time, we would think that's weird, right? Go to the city. You're going to see somebody carrying a pitcher of water and just following to his house. Right? I mean, I know if I'm like driving and somebody just starts following me, I'm going to start getting really suspicious. Amen? Amen? But then it gets better. It's a go into the house. And then tell the goodman, Look, the master said unto thee, Where's your guest chamber, where I shall eat the Passover of my disciples? And he's going to show you a large upper room furnace. There make the the meal ready. And they went, and look what happens. And found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. You know what's interesting about that? In our minds, we think, that's so weird. That's so crazy. We wouldn't do that today. I'm thinking, in, in, in Jewish culture, it was a little, it's well quite a bit different than what our culture is today. But still, it, it, it wouldn't necessarily be the exact way that you would go about things, per se. But what he does is he tells them to do something, and they do it. And the Bible says it happened exactly how he said it would happen. It's the way that faith works. They could have said look this is weird jesus (laughs) i I don't want to do that (laughs) i I, I don't want to walk behind somebody and then just walk into their house and tell them look we're going to have a meal here tonight (laughs) give us your upper room um that's just awkward we don't want to do that they could have done that but they said "Mm -hmm." you know i don't know if they said okay like that but they said (laughs) said, okay we'll do this so they go and they they do this it happens exactly the way it's supposed to happen verse 14 When the hour was come, he sat down and twelve apostles with him, and they said, And he said unto them, With desire, have desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not eat any more, eat thereof, until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks, and said, Take this, and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine, until the kingdom of God shall come. Which is such an interesting declaration that Jesus makes to them. And again, there's been different debates and thoughts about what Jesus was saying. Uh, you know, is this the marriage supper of the lamb he's talking about? What is, what is he talking about here? That he's not going to drink this, this vine, this juice, uh, until the kingdom of God is actually come. If you remember Jesus teaching on a couple of things about the vine and the branches, he said this, I am the vine and you are the branches. He also said that, that we are to bear fruit, to bear much fruit is how, God, how the Father is glorified. That's what he said, I believe, in John chapter 15. That us bearing much fruit is what brings God glory. He's the vine, we are the branches. It's from the vine that, that, that the, the branches get all of the nourishment. The fruit is, is produced off of that. All of it has to come from the vine. I believe that Jesus was saying, His people, His church, His followers, that's the fruit that will be His, uh, his, his, his consummation, His consumption. In his kingdom. I believe that according to the divine will of the Father, his church would be the fruit of the vine that he drank of in his kingdom. His true church. Verse 19, he took bread and, and gave thanks and brake it and gave it unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise, also the cup after, after saying, This cup is the New Testament, the new covenant. Remember the Old Covenant? The Old Covenant is the, the, the law of Moses. It, it was with the blood of bulls and goats. And the Hebrews tells us that they can never completely do away with sin. Blood, the blood of bulls and goats cannot completely do away with sin. That's why the high priest had to offer that, that sacrifice year after year. And Jesus is the one sacrifice that was sufficient. So this is the New Covenant that's established in my blood. And it's shed for you. Again, the juice representing the blood. The bread representing the flesh. What does this mean? What, what does that mean? Well, if you look in John chapter 6, it, it gets a little more interesting, which we've, we've preached this before. But look in verse 47. Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. That's easy. That's, that's simple. When we, just like I said while going, we surrender our life, we have eternal life. But look what he says next. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and they're dead. They, they eat they ate bread that that physical bread that came down from heaven and and they died many died in the wilderness the Bible says but then he says this is the bread which cometh down from heaven he's talking about himself the man may eat thereof and not die I'm the living bread which came down from heaven if any man of the, uh, eat of this bread he shall live forever and the bread that I will give is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world the Jews, therefore, strove among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, now you may not understand why this was such a perplexing thing, other than the fact that if you just take it in, in, in physical, literal terms, Jesus is saying you've got to be a cannibal to have eternal life, right? That's what he's saying. My flesh is the bread that you've got to eat in order to have eternal life. So that's odd. I mean, people sitting around thinking that that's a problem. I'm not eating your flesh. I, I, don't, I don't care how you cook it or how it's done. I'm not eating another person's flesh that's not that's not gonna work for me that was that was one layer of the problem for the jews the other layer of the problem for the jews was this that they were forbidden in the levitical law to eat to to be cannibals and to to drink blood they were they're forbidden to do this and so for jesus to say look you can't have life unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood posed a major problem for them both personally and you know not you know theologically i guess You've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood and say, look, said, how are we going to do this? And Jesus said to them, verily, verily, truly, truly, again, he says, this is the truth. I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. This is a mind-blowing thing. He keeps driving home this point. Verse 54, whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him as the living Father hath sent me and I live by the Father. So he that eateth me and he shall, uh, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. So this is such a weird teaching. <laughs> Eating flesh and drinking blood. This means that If you consume things that are of this earth only, just like manna, you will die indeed. And death will be your final sentence. But if you eat and consume the heavenly, that which was sent from above, Jesus Christ, this earthly, I mean this heavenly, eternal provision, Jesus Christ, you will live. See, Jesus, the Bible tells us in John chapter 1, is the Word made flesh, incarnate Word, and the Word dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father. Jesus is the incarnate Word. And so when we ingest spiritually, wholly ingest the Word of God, and we accept it, we trust it, with everything that we have, we trust Him, we place our entire reliance and the substance of our being in Jesus Christ, that's when we receive life. And that's exactly what Jesus was teaching. And notice this. It's not just a nibble. He said, you've got to eat it. You've got to consume it. It's got to go inside of you. It's not just tasting. It's not just that. say, why do you bring that up? Because Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4 says this, that there are those who the Bible talks about being apostates, that they have tasted of the heavenly gift. And it says that when they sin, it's impossible for them to renew them to repentance again. And the reason why is this, the same exact thing that we were talking about again in this, this meeting with this other pastor this last week. And, and, and it's this, it's so hard to get some people lost before they can be saved. Because some people think that they're saved already here. They're not saved. They have all the knowledge just like the demons. I know everything. I've heard the stories. I've been raised in church But in their heart, there's not been a life surrender, an absolute consuming of Jesus, an absolute ingesting of Him. You are my all type of faith. And that's why that they are able to be renewed to repentance because they didn't consume. They they didn't wholly eat. They just tasted just like Judas tasted of the heavenly gift. He saw the miracles. He saw all those things, but he didn't have Jesus in him. He, betr- he betrayed him. Verse 21 back in our text but behold the hand of him betrayeth me is on the table and truly the son of man goeth as it was determined but woe unto him uh, unto that man by whom he is betrayed and they begin to inquire among themselves which of, which of them it was that should do this thing and then the disciples do something super spiritual and they begin arguing who's going to be the, the greatest in the kingdom of God they, you know here they are with Jesus Jesus is about to leave They're like oh wow the kingdom of God's coming I wonder who's going to be the best in the kingdom of God their minds, their hearts weren't right. We know that's not, that they weren't. We're going to see in just a second. I'm going to try to wrap this up. But again, they argue over this. And Christ says, look, the Gentiles, the kings of the Gentiles, they exercise lordship over them, and they have it all wrong. He said, it's the one that serves. And again, Christ was the one that was serving them in so many ways. His words, his life, and of course, his death to come. And he says this in verse 28, you are they which have continued with me in my temptations. So you continued with me through the hard times and I've given you the instructions on how to do it when I leave. Point number two, Christ is our example to continue, come what may. Christ is our example to continue, come what may. No matter what comes against us, no matter what uh, uh, affliction, sickness, illness, uh, problem on this earth, on top of persecution for being Christians, struggles that, that we have to go through, continue. Why continue following Jesus? Because continuing has eternal rewards. Continuing has eternal rewards. He said, I want God to bless me, then continue. I want God to, to, to use me, then continue. Verse 29, I appointed you a kingdom as my father appointed unto me. Wow. That's an amazing blessing. That you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan had desired. I'm sorry, the Lord said, Simon Simon, behold, Satan had desired to have you and may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. That your faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. When you come back, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both in the prison of death. I'm not going to betray you. I'm not, not going to leave you. And he said unto thee, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. And he said unto them, when, when I sent you with a purse and script and shoes, lacked you anything? He said, no, nothing. Then he said unto them, but now he that hath a purse, let him take it. And, and likewise his script, he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say unto you that this that is written must yet be accomplished in me. And he was reckoning, I'm sorry, he reckoned among the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, it's enough. And he came out in his, and went, and as he went to the mountain of Olives, His disciples also followed him, and he was at the place. He said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel from heaven and strengthened him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as great drops of blood falling down on the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. And said unto them, why sleep you? Rise and pray, lest you enter into tempta- t- t- temptation. That's exactly what he had been preparing them for. It's going to get hard. It's going to get difficult. You're going to want to spiritually sleep and slumber. And you're going to want to give in to the world. Don't do that. And right after he tells them these things, they fall asleep in, the, in their sorrow. And while he was yet speaking, behold, a multitude that was, uh, that was called Judas. and he, I'm sorry, he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas... Betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? When they were about him, saw what would follow. They said to him, Lord, shall we smite, smite with a sword? And one of them smote the servant, we know it was Peter, of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye this far, which means no more of this. Don't, don't do this. And he touched his ear and healed him. And Jesus said unto the chief priests and captains of the temple and the elders which were come before him, He says, Be ye come out. As against the thief with swords and staves? Is that how I've threatened your lives? You're going to come at me with, with, with guns, with, with all these things, and, and this is how you're going to come. He says, when I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched forth no hands against me. I was there in your place. You could have taken me. So why are you coming out with swords and staves out here? But this is your hour and the power of darkness. This is your hour in the power of darkness. I want to ask our musicians to come. We'll have to finish this next week. And... but I want to challenge you with this. Christ is our Passover. He's made the way. There's, we don't have to work for salvation. He, he is the sacrifice for our sins to give us this relationship with the Lord. To give us this, this, this fellowship with Almighty God. And, and again, my, my question to us this morning, as I asked earlier, is how are we living in anticipation for his return? I mean, are we truly living our lives for Jesus Christ? Is there a battle with, our, with allegiance in our life? Do I, do I serve myself? Do I serve my family? Do I serve my job? Do I serve my money, my possessions? Do I serve all these other things sometimes with the competition of serving the Lord or is it Christ above all, period? Because he is Lord of all, period. Because he is King of all, period. What does my life look like? Not just something I have in my mind that I think looks right in my life, but how is my life truly being lived? He's coming back. And the power of darkness, the the hour of darkness is still now. The prince in the power of the air is Satan, and he is still ruling in this this air right now, this this world right now. But his time is very short. And the Lord's return is very quick, very soon. And if we as this church in the last days don't start getting serious about our commitment to his kingdom, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss this opportunity. We have so many things and so much stuff, so many blessings and so many resources. Are are we really taking advantage for the kingdom of God or are these things consuming our lives? Man, let's dig in. Let's continue. Let's let's be more committed than we've ever been before. I mean, we're celebrating the resurrection, the the event that that guaranteed our part of the resurrection, this event that is 100% telling us that we have life if we surrender to Jesus Christ. We're celebrating that. But what do our lives look like on a general basis? Remember, continuing has eternal rewards. Not just continuing when we feel like it, But continuing period, I'm a steadfast follower of Jesus Christ. I'm not like a Judas, I'm not even like a Peter. I'm a steadfast follower of Jesus Christ, regardless of what comes against me, regardless of what comes up against us, I will continue to follow Him, because He gave His all for me. He is my Lord, my King, my all. Let's let that be our our declaration. I will be a steadfast follower of Jesus Christ, come what may. And if you're here and you say, man, you were talking a while ago about surrender, and I have never done that before. I've prayed prayers. I've been in church before. I've been in church my whole life. I, I know all of the, I could tell somebody what Jesus did for them, but I have never surrendered control of my life to him. Because to this day, I still, I still do the things that I want to do versus being completely surrendered to him. And I'm not talking about sinless perfection. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about I have given my life to Him. And as the course of my life goes on a daily basis, I want to do what pleases Him. I want to obey His Word. That's the desires of my heart. And along that path, I stumble and I fall and I mess up. I don't make deliberate plans and I don't make deliberate decisions to go against my Lord and to go against His will. I fall off sometimes and I mess up sometimes. But He has my life and He's directing my life. If, if, if that's not you, if you say, look, I, I just, I show up and do kind of whenever I want to, then I, I'm challenging you. I just don't see that in scripture where that's true salvation. And I want to encourage you to come and talk to one of our ministers and, and, and see for sure. If you know that heaven is going to be your home. It's not going to be your home unless you eat, consume wholly. Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to come after I pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity to be challenged in your word again. Over and over and over, I'm challenged. Over and over and over, uh, I feel the need to press into you more, uh, to be more steadfast, to be more committed, to be more surrendered to you. And um, I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for the conviction and and, and the instruction, the encouragement that you give me through your word. And I pray that all of us would have that together, that nobody who is truly your child this morning Uh, would leave this place not more committed. Lord, I pray that every single one of your children would be more committed. They would realize how serious this end time is and, and, and for us to be continuing more and more to that final day. Lord, if there's someone here that's lost, they've never given their life to Jesus Christ, I pray they'd move this morning and do that in this invitation. We'll praise you for it in Jesus' name.